You guys are ready to listen this morning. That was quick. Okay. Uh, a lot of times I can't, uh, can't, we can't stop talking, so this is good. Well, we are, um, we're in our series on margins. We've got one more week after this, so next week is going to be on time and how we kind of push out to the edge, but we're exploring our, our tendency in a lot of different areas of our lives to not be content with the space on the page of our life that is made for the writing, to put content on it, but to press on beyond those into the margins and sometimes just to tiptoe right up to the edge of, of the paper. So we talked about our tendency to overwork and to overextend ourselves with work and how that was the first week. Last week we talked about uh, pushing our imaginations and not leaving God some room there at the edge. Uh, this week we're going to talk about our tendency to push beyond the margins in our finances, in the way that we handle money. And and we're going to talk, as we've been doing this whole series, about how God graciously invites us, rather than pushing all the way up to the edge of the paper in these different areas of our life, God invites us to pull back and to leave some space around the edges, that there is kind of a, a, a way of life that he's trying to invite us into where there's some room, some margins at the edge of our life in these different areas. So today we're going to talk about money. And, uh, and I know, um, let me give you a second actually to run for the exits. Uh, preachers talking about money in church. I realized that. Okay. Everybody going to stay? Okay, good. Uh, no, I, I, listen, I realize that this is like one of those taboo areas that you don't even talk about like at Thanksgiving dinner around the table. It's like politics and money. We'll just leave those off the table and not talk about those. And so I, I recognize that we can kind of like get a little squirmy, especially when a preacher starts talking about money, right? Uh, we've all seen the TV programs. I, we, you know, I promise you I'm not going to invite you to subscribe to something or buy like a prayer cloth or anything like that this morning. Uh, but but we got to talk about it. We got to talk about it uh, because Jesus talked about it. And, and in fact, Jesus didn't seem to have any kind of problem talking about the way that we related with money, the way we handle money, the way our hearts get connected with money and stuff. In fact, I think that that's one of the main reasons that Jesus tended to talk about how we relate to money and stuff, maybe more than he did almost anything else on that pre- that's on that practical kind of level. Jesus talked about it uh, and pretty often. In fact, it lands, uh, his comments about money and stuff lands right in one of his most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount. In, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about it pretty in depth. So Jesus talks about it, and my sense is that Jesus talks about how we relate to money and how we handle money because he knows, he knew and he knows, how easy it is for how we relate to money to get its hooks into our heart, for money and stuff and possessions to get its hooks into our heart and pull our hearts off in directions that we weren't created as human beings to go. You with me on this? Anybody know what I'm talking about here? That that the love of money and the pursuit of stuff can very often take us off in directions that as human beings, we weren't created to live in. We were created to have this passionate pursuit for God and his kingdom and the things of God's kingdom. And, and yet so often we, we end up su- subscribing to this myth that if I just had more stuff, if I just had more money and we pursue that kind of stuff and end up becoming less than we were created to be. We become sort of this like cog in this wheel of consumerism or, or something. And, and we, we begin just chasing around the material things. And so 
We've been in the series on margins, and, and I want to take over the screens here for a minute uh, and w- want to draw you a few pictures today to, to help us kind of get a picture of what this might be like um, dealing with margins. So let's say that our finances um, are this page, right? This represents 100% of the finances that you have in your life. Here's the problem that we have, and it it works this way in lots of different areas of our life, but so much so with our finances. We are tempted to move out beyond um, the margins of our page. And in fact, with our finances, a lot of times we're tempted to move out even beyond our page itself, right? Uh, so we, we have our stuff that represents, the page represents 100% of our, of our finances, but we're tempted to go beyond our page and live on other people's pages. Anybody know what I'm talking about, uh, right? So we've got a page for the bank here. We've got a page for a credit card and maybe lots of pages for our credit cards for all the different JCPenney and, you know, Kmart or whatever, Target and gas cards. We've got a page for the payday lender. We've got a page for uh, mom and dad, you know, um, whatever. Lots of different. We've got a page for the car note. You know, we have, we, we make up pages uh, to, to move off of our page. Do you see the trajectory of how our life tends to relate to money. We have the page that's our page. And then however it is for you, and guys, most of us, probably almost all of us are on this page, because, are on, in this position because we've at least like got a, a mortgage or something like that, right? So many of us are living off of our pages on other people's pages. This creates a dynamic that... Uh, the scriptures want to remind us is not a dynamic that we want to be in. And in in the wisdom literature in the Bible, Proverbs 22, 7 says this, the borrower, anybody heard this word, this verse before is what slave. Some of you know what I'm talking about here to the lender. So when we go off of our page and begin borrowing off of other people's pages, it creates a relationship between the person who is uh, borrowing and the person who's loaning the money. And it's this master-slave relationship kind of deal, Proverbs wants to tell us. That when you borrow money from somebody else, that you're submitting to that kind of a relationship. And this kind of, of way of handling money, of living on everybody else's pages, guys is an epidemic in our culture. In our culture, it is an epidemic. And here's why. I I did some research on statistics this past week, and one that really stuck out to me was from CNBC. They had had found this study that had done by Equifax. And guys, did you know in America last year, we set a record? Congratulations, right? It's always good to set records, watching the Olympics and everything. Yeah, right? No, we're setting records. This is good stuff. You think... But it's not the kind of record that we want to set. Last year, we set a record for the most household debt cumulative together in America. More household debt than anybody uh, collectively we've ever set before. Last year, the amount of total household debt in America was 13.8, listen, trillion dollars just in our country, just in our country. Now, I don't know about you guys. I don't even know what to do with that. I don't even know what that means, 
13.8 trillion dollars. Does anybody have a concept of what that is? My five-year-old asked me the other day, Dad, what's a trillion? And I said, it's a billion billions. And he was like, uh, whatever. Uh, you know. Uh, but listen, we're not talking about a billion billions. We're talking about 13 times, 13.5 times that. It's so big that we don't even know how to conceptualize that. So I got to the thinking, I wonder, I wonder how much it would cost, for example, to like, end world hunger. And so I searched that up. And the answer to that, it would cost $30 billion a year to end world hunger. And we have $13.8 trillion in debt just in our country. This is an epidemic. It's a problem for us. We have gotten so used to living off of our page and onto other people's pages that we can't even, we can't even think about what, what other better things we could be doing with those kinds of things. So that's kind of the situation that we're in. Again, I said, um, I said that this is really a heart issue for us. And I think the reasons that we tend to go off of our pages and, and borrow and borrow and borrow and look for more and more and more probably vary. But at the, at the heart of all of these things is this common experience that no matter how much we have, it's not enough. It's not enough. And we think if I just had a little bit more, if I just had a lot more maybe, if I just had more, then I would be more happy. I'd be more content. I'd be more taken care of. I'd be more whatever. Fill in the blank there. If I just had more, then I would be more happy, content, fill in the blank. And and we think these things, and this leads to a pursuit of more, of of going off of our page, of thinking, man, I've got to have more than what's on my page, so I'm going to borrow, and I'm going to get this stuff. And it leads us to storing up for ourselves treasures here on earth. That's the way Jesus talks about it. And in fact, a lot of times that isn't even enough. And so once we've got our barn full, Jesus tells us in another place in Luke chapter 2, he tells us, or Luke chapter 12, that uh, there was this one guy and once his barn was full, he built bigger barns and filled those up and then built bigger barns and filled those up. And the idea that we don't have enough, no matter how much we have, so we need more in order to be content or happy or whatever, leads us to those kinds of pursuits of storing up treasures on earth, filling up the barn, then building bigger ones, then building bigger ones. And at the end of that kind of pursuit, I want to ask a question this morning. Maybe you found yourself <laughs> giving yourself over to that kind of pursuit. Maybe you're in it right now. I know what, I know what that's like. We all know what that's like. Um, at the end of those kinds of pursuits of wanting more, are we significantly more happy or content than we were before we started those pursuits. My guess is that all of us would, would hopefully be able to say no. I mean, if we, if we look back and, and you look at somebody who's spent an entire life in those kinds of pursuits of getting more stuff, of giving themselves over to having more financial means, that you come to the end of those lives and you, you don't usually have people say, man, I'm so glad I gave my whole life to getting more stuff, you know? We, we don't hear that kind of thing. 
Because more stuff isn't the answer to more happiness, more contentment. In fact, I think the opposite is probably true. If we give our lives over to finding more stuff, to looking for more stuff, for having our hearts set on all the stuff that we can get, my sense is the opposite takes place. Think about it in terms of that picture, right? You've got the page, and if your whole life is spent trying to get something that you don't already have on the page then it lends itself to a life of discontentment because you never quite have what you think you want, right? So, so this is kind of the dynamic that we're working with here. Jesus, again, recognizes that for, for him, it's a heart issue, really. It's a, it's a heart issue. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, he talks about it. And he says this, he says, store, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You hear this, that this isn't a thing about, about, you know, it's not a math issue. It's not a, a deal about what I can have and what I can't have. It's not even really about money. It's about our heart. Where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And then he skipped down a few verses and he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will love the one, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus says, don't let the pursuit of stuff become the driving force in your life. It will set you up for failure and disappointment. So if the driving force of our life was money, maybe we could envision that as a, as a a life where we're constantly off of the page and looking for other pages to try and find more stuff. If that's what that looks like, then I want to, I want to figure out what the opposite of that looks like, right? I want to figure out what it looks like to not be concerned and not to not be going after my whole life, be all about getting more stuff and more money. And so maybe this morning, what I really want to simply talk about is what would it look like for us to begin to move in the other direction? If we've spent a lot of our life trying to get onto other pages in order to have more stuff, what would it look like to turn those arrows around and begin the process of moving to a place where we could be content with what God has given us on our page? What would that look like? What would that look like? I want to spend some time this morning, guys, just being real practical uh, this morning. And, and so we're going to go through some financial practices this morning. And I realize you're like, wait a minute, aren't we at church? Like, aren't we supposed to talk about spiritual stuff? Here's one of the things about spiritual stuff. A lot of the times, the most spiritual things that we can do are the most practical things as well. Some of the most basic, sometimes we might think of the most mindless, like disciplines and practices, can also be some of the most powerful spiritual 
practices in our life. In fact, I would argue that the stuff I'm about ready to talk about, even though it's like super like you can learn this in junior high or something, you know, like, like in, your, in your finance class or whatever, that if we will give ourselves over to practicing these kinds of things, that it will have a transformative effect on our hearts. Because it's not about money. It's about our hearts. It's about how, how we relate with it there. So uh, I want to talk uh, for a little bit about how to order the page of our finances. And so we're going to uh, take this back over. We're going to erase this. And so let's again start out with the idea that we have um, a page. And that's actually going to be my first uh, statement that I want to work on this morning is number one, you have a page. You have a page. There are limits to your page. We don't have unlimited amounts of pages. We, we have one page, and that represents what God has given us to work with. And for a lot of us, we skip right over this, and we don't recognize that we do have a page, and there are limits to that page. And so if we're used to living off on other pages, the most basic, simple move, the decision that I would love for us to make this morning is just to say today, I'm going to live on my page. Uh, From here, going forward, as difficult as it might be, I'm not going to borrow more money. I'm going to start moving in the other direction. You have a page, and the goal is to learn to live on and be content with the page that you've been given. Now, it might take some time to to get there. I recognize, guys, a lot of us are in real bad shape. And for some of us, we're coming here this morning, we're like, oh, man, this is the last thing I want to hear about because I'm already stressed about it six days a week. I don't want to think about it today. But here's why we're stressed about it, because we're not living on our pages. So the way to get unstressed about that is to move in the opposite direction than what we've been moving up to that point, right? So you have a page. The goal is to learn to live on and be content with your page. It may take some time to get there, but that's the goal, is to begin to decide to practice that from here on out, I'm not going to continue to borrow more in the hopes that if I got enough or if I got more, then I would be content. We're just going to let that all go and say, whatever God has given me, that's what we're going to work with. Now, uh, a part of number one is you have a page, but uh, what do we do with that page? We're going to do a zero-based budget. I know, guys, this is like super basic stuff, but a lot of people, I do, I've been doing... Um, premarital counseling now for several years as a pastor, and almost nobody actually does it. Uh, But it's one of the most transformative things that you can do in your financial life is to do a zero-based budget. And what that means is there are three basic things. One is your income. How much money do I have coming in that God has given me for this month, right? We'll do it a month at a time. You start with your total income, 100% of what God is giving you it starts on the top of your page. The very next, or the next thing at the bottom of the page is we want to go through all of the things of all of our expenses and have our expenses minus, our income minus our expenses equal zero. So let me write that out real quick. A zero-based budget means your income minus expenses 
equals zero. All right. Is everybody with me so far? This is, this is, maybe, maybe nobody's ever thought about this before. Uh, maybe some of you are like real nerds like me, and you've got Excel spreadsheets with lots of tabs. But however you do it, your income minus your expenses equals zero. And that is basically us saying, whatever's on the page, I'm going to live there. I'm going to live there. That's kind of just like a basic, we're going to get back onto that page. Whatever's on the page, I'm going to live there. Now, the second thing that we're going to write on the page. So, we're going to stay on the page. The very next thing we're going to do every month is we're going to draw in a margin. Again, we're in the series on margins. Our page needs a margin. Our page needs a margin, and that margin for us is the tithe. If the Sabbath was the margin for our work, the tithe is the minimum margin for our finances. Now, I want to talk about the tithe for just a minute. And if you're a guest here, I want you to know I rarely do this, all right? Uh, But I want to this morning because it has been such a powerful thing for me in my own life changed Ashley and I's life in so many different ways. It is one of the most powerful heart transforming practices that a person can be in. So what is the tithe? Well, the tithe just simply means 10% of your income, and it's got roots way back in the Old Testament. Um, the, the first time we hear it mentioned is Abraham, Father Abraham, with many sons. That guy uh, won a battle, and he, in his battle, he won all these possessions, a lot of his possessions. He won them back, and he also won his, his uh, nephew back. And so he had all these things, and he saw the victory as a victory that God has given, had given him. And so he took 10% and he gave it to a priest named Melchizedek as a way of saying thank you to God and recognizing that it was God's victory for him. You fast forward that a few years and, and we find that in Leviticus chapter 18, God prescribes the tithe as a way for the Israelites to give towards the resources of the temple system and for the Levites, that one tribe that cared for the temple system, to be able to manage all of those things and to be cared for. Fast forward all the way throughout the Old Testament and this became a regular practice for the people of God. That they, when, when they had a harvest, when they had animals, they would bring 10% of, of what God had given them as a reminder that God had blessed them and give that back to God and say, God, this belongs to you. Right? There's this one passage in Malachi, way towards the end of the New Testament. And it's been one of the most powerful passages uh, that I've known related to the tithe. In Malachi chapter uh, 3, verse 10, God actually is speaking to the Israelites who had fallen out of practice of the tithe. And he says to them, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then he says this, test me in this. Test me in this. Now, there are other places in the scripture where even Jesus says, you're not supposed to test the Lord, right? But God himself, the only time in scripture that I know of when he challenges the people, test me. Go ahead, test me. You have permission, test me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing 
that there will not be room enough to store it. Try me, God says. I know you don't think it works with the math, but listen, the tithe and really budgeting in general is not about math actually, but especially the tithe. The tithe is not about making your math work. The tithe is about being obedient with the resources that God has given us and God takes care of the math from then on, right? Guys, the rest of the New Testament the New Testament rounds out the edges of the tithe a little bit. In fact, in the New Testament, it's not spoken of as the tithe. It's more about like the way Jesus talks about the heart of, of generosity and joyfulness and giving and these kinds of things. Uh, but the Christian practice tended to just continue to recognize the whole thing belongs to God and the stewardship kept going. And Christians throughout the years have continued to give the tithe. Um, I was working on this passage this week or this part of the message. And I got to be honest, every time it comes to talking about money and talking about finances, I want to step back from it and I want to apologize. And I want to say, I know guys, you've got baggage from this. I know this is really hard. I know you might be in a situation where the math just doesn't work. And maybe if you could just do a little and just, you know, and all these things. And guys, real honestly, This week I'm working on the message and I got to this part about the tithe and I was thinking about all the ways that I wanted to apologize for talking about the tithe. And God checked me on this. 16 years. I've had this practice, Ashley and I've had this practice of of tithing first thing. And God has never let us down, not one time. God has given us more than enough, even when we were making 20 grand a year together combined, living in a 400 square foot apartment. God has always given us enough. And the practice of the tithe first has been such a transformative, heart level, spiritually formative kind of thing. And God checked me on that this past week. And he said, why would you not be bold and invite people to do the same kind of thing and encourage them to take part in this thing that's been so powerful for you. And so this morning, I want to say to you, tithe. <laughs> like, like just challenge. I want to challenge you this morning. I don't care about the money. I don't look at giving statements and any of that kind of stuff. It has nothing to do with any of that kind of stuff. But I know personally, from a personal experience, that it is one of the most powerful things spiritually that we've done over the course of our life. And I want you to be able to experience that kind of blessing as well. It's the first thing, tithe. This minimum margin. I know, maybe it doesn't work. Um, Maybe you can't figure out how to make the math work, but God makes the math work and God challenges us to do this kind of thing with our funds. The beautiful thing about having the tithe as the margin around our page is it reminds us that the whole thing belongs to God. You try building a budget where the first thing is tithe, isn't tithe or, or is tithe or where a whole page, the whole thing around the page says tithe and it reminds you that the whole thing belongs to God. Changes the way you start planning about resources and giving and, and uh, sharing with others and, and just the whole way you budget. If the whole thing belongs to God, then everything about how we spend the money um, is, is placed under the will of God and the way that we do that. So the tithe is God's minimum um, margin for our life in order that we might be able to live faithfully uh, before him in that. Now, 
you continue to go on, the very next thing is um, necessities. Necessities. So like, like lots of steak dinners, right? Uh, no, like basic necessities. What are basic necessities? Um, food, water, shelter, uh, basic clothing, basic transportation, utility bills, these kinds of things. And again, necessities are basic things. So we're not going to get extravagant right off the bat. And then for number four is everything else. That's just a real simple um, process of putting together a budget. Um, Number one, live on our page. Number two, start with the tithe. 